a listener production. This episode was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. One of the ways we do this is through live events like the Leadership Summit we held in March 2021. It's an incredible atmosphere to be at the summit, especially when smart, inspiring women are happy to share their failings. In this fantastic talk, the founder and CEO of a global consulting firm, Partners in Performance, Skip Williamson, not only admits to failings, but argues they're also part of her success. Here's Skip. So I thought I'd start by just talking about what my story is. You know, sometimes I'm an absolute angel to work for and if you don't feed and exercise me in the morning before work, you know, there's a few crocodile tendencies that tend to come out. I have a wife, Carol, and we're the mothers of two fabulous, young, well-adjusted adults. My life or journey as an entrepreneur started after five years working in one of the prestigious strategy consulting firms. It was sort of an interesting experience. For me, being told to wear a skirt and grow your hair was kind of like going to work every day in drag, and there never was an end in sight. It was quite a horrific experience, actually. I mean, now we know that's probably not something you do to people. But what really sort of made me leave was discovering that my male colleagues were actually paid quite a bit more than me. And, you know, I think the reason was they probably asked for more when they started and then they kept asking. And that's what informal mentoring is about. I reckon I could probably have plucked up the courage if someone had said, these are the rules of the game. And so I left. And I'm incredibly glad that I did leave because life's so much better afterwards. But I decided that instead of having a firm that would produce PowerPoint and think that was going to change the world, that we'd start a firm that actually tried to deliver real bottom line results for people that actually stuck. That's 25 years ago. And you know what? The first seven of years were pretty much wasted. I can tell you that after your first two or 3,000 rejections, rejection actually doesn't matter anymore. But it took me seven years to figure out how to get the executive assistants and their bosses to actually give us a meeting. And you know, not all of my strategy background was wasted. I kind of know you need to meet the customer to make a sale. So we knew we had a problem. So in my view, people talk about the glass ceiling. I didn't ever get to the ceiling. I was so busy dealing with the glass on the floor and the invisible glass walls and trying to figure out how the system worked. But I did figure swimming against the stream while others who just were part of the stream wasn't really a smart idea. I mean, that's bloody hard work and it's kind of got a few life-threatening elements. And then I started thinking about what happened to the salmon when they get the top. Did anyone remember? After they spawn, they die of exhaustion. Like, this is not a game that we are up for. And so I changed the game. What I did is I figured out 
that I need white entitled men who were part of the system to give me that badge, that imprimatur, and say to these bosses and the executive assistants, I, a man, am saying this person is worth talking to. Give her a meeting. And so I hired a most wonderful band of grey-haired men. They are my grey-haired men. Some of them complain they're now white-haired men. And that, with a bunch of other things, really worked. So we're now in 42 countries. There's about 550 people at work for me. We deliver about 20 billion of bottom-line results to our clients every year. And more importantly, we have a fabulous time doing it and we love it. Um, so things are going pretty well. We also make a stack of money. <laughs> and in places like Australia, where we first established, we're actually starting to have a brand name that makes us part of the system. So the system's starting to work for us. So anyway, that's just a bit of background on uh, my work story, which is I kind of guess why someone asked me to speak here. Um, but what was really daunting is that the title of my talk, and I'd really like you to forget about it, is that this is the Big Ideas Lab. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I can tell you, you are so busy, you have no time to have a big idea, let alone a small one. You're just working your ass off. But I thought, well, maybe I'll talk to you about my habits in case some of them are useful. And so we're going to walk through what I do as my habit. And the first bit is the big reveal. You need to have one of those midway through because some of you at the back are no longer paying attention. <laughs> I need you to brace yourself about this because there's some devastating news. And the thing that's even more worrying about some of this is it's about you. I'm not talking about the collective you we can all hide. I'm talking about you as individuals. Because you are actually imperfect as a person. You are fatally flawed. And what's more, I would suspect for most of you, it's just not an occasional little fail. You're doing this every day as an ongoing habit. And so am I. But the thing is, I kind of love it. You know, every day there's more surprises about the thousand and one mistakes I can make. <laughs> and what I see is a lot of people trying to be perfect. And I reckon that's using up somewhere between 30 and 50% of your horsepower. And there are too many big problems in this world that we need to solve for you to be wasting 30 to 50% of your horsepower trying to fake it and cover it up so that those around you don't realise that you're imperfect. I mean, they already know that. And the thing that I find sort of interesting is, well, what my habit is, is I roll in it. Like, do you really own the fact that you're imperfect? Are you like the dog that's rolling on a worm or something far worse? And you absolutely cover yourself in it? Do you live with it and accept it and think, cool, I'm going to make a mistake? I absolutely know I'm going to make lots of mistakes here. It's just part of it. And so when you own it, you can prepare for it, you're used to it, and you don't have to stare and worry. Hi, Helen here again. I just wanted to jump in and say how much I enjoyed hearing that Skip could not only learn to own her imperfections, 
but also to use her awareness of them to help prepare for tasks where her perfectionism might limit her. So Skip left us with the big reveal that neither you nor she are perfect. Now let's hear how she thinks you could treat your own imperfections and anticipate your mistakes before you make them. Back to Skip. My theory is that everyone else is as imperfect as you. I'm sure they are better in some dimensions than you and I'm sure they're worse than others. And the crazy thing is we have a world where we're all trying to hide it from each other and we're polishing. You know, the 80-20, I can tell you that last little bit of perfection really isn't worth having for the amount of horsepower it sucks out of you. And there we all are, pretending to each other, trying to cover it up, wasting 30% of our resource for that little last bit. So that's not me. That's my first habit. I totally own my imperfections. I'd rather not be told all of them at once, but own it. And then what's the next part in this terribly sophisticated framework? The second bit for me is I'm striking at the ball. So I'm not really interested in baseball. I went to uni in the States. I went to one game. It was pretty tedious. 1923, one of the most famous baseball players of all time, hit the most home runs. But look at that. He also had the most strikeouts, the most fails. Isn't that interesting? And this guy was really good. He kept his record for the most total career runs for 39 years, right? Because there's always going to be someone better that comes along. We're not baseball players. I bet some of you have heard of Babe Ruth, but what I think is interesting is not his baseball, it's his philosophy. He's about striking at the ball, not waiting for the perfect, absolute pitch to strike. He's getting his strike rate up. And this is the second way that I think we can be really powerful. Right, is strike at that ball often. I think we spend way too much of life worrying about whether we're right for the role. Are we gonna make a mistake? Are we gonna fail? Are we gonna get it wrong? That is actually not useful. And so instead, I'm saying we move from perfectionism to striking often and striking fast. If we're going to make a difference in this world, if you're going to change the part of the world that you want to change, and Lord knows there's enough of it, then we need to get striking often. And so there's my second thought, you know, feel the fear, leap into it. The third part of my habit is I know that mistake's coming, so I am ready and I'm moving. And there's a few things I have on the go for that. I reckon my batting average of getting things right the first time is roughly zero. So that surprise is over for me. And so the things I do, I surround myself with absolutely fabulous people to cover my gaps. I have the most incredible team at Partners in Performance with talents that I will never have that cover my gaps. In particular, I surround myself with nice, cuddly, friendly people that are good to be with. And I have a wife that is incredible at everything, so that kind of helps in terms of covering gaps. And then the second thing I do, the absolute superpower, is I have an absolute brutal laser-like lens that as soon as I've implemented, 
looks at, is it working? Is it working with brutal honesty? And most of the time, of course, it's not working as well as it could, and so we're into rapidly fix it mode. So my two things, surround yourself with people that fill your skill gaps, and for goodness sake, tell them what your gaps are. I mean, they've already worked it out. You're still trying to be perfect. They've already worked out what your gaps are. But the honesty around these are the bits I need you to cover for me builds a much stronger team. And then the second thing is keep firing the arrow and get better and better every time and get better by ruthlessly, brutally honestly looking at is it working. Now, I reckon my competitors have never done that because presumably you'd end up figuring that PowerPoint wasn't it. But why do people not do this? I suspect is because we're fearful that if we look at whether what we're doing is working, we'll find out that it's not, and it will tell us we're imperfect. But we already know that. And so the third part of my cycle that takes the stress out of things is, you know, I aim, I get it roughly right, I fire, and then I correct. And so we're in the market with a product years before our competitors, and within three, four weeks, we've had three, four iterations of it. And I think those three things combine to make my life a lot less stressful than it used to be in my early 30s when I was still trying to get it right. So that's my big idea. And remember, that was from one of our live events. And you can become part of the movement by signing up at futurewomen.com. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe, executive producer Jenny Goggin, sound production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.